all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is a word of God. Well, for those of you uh, I haven't had the privilege of meeting, I'm Brian Loney. I know I was introduced in the beginning. I'll just say again uh, my name. I am the pastor of a sister congregation uh, with a shared history planted by Christ the King. We launched for worship in 2013. This congregation has been a tremendous encouragement uh, to us. So I am thankful to be here. I'm thankful for the privilege of praying uh, with you all uh, right now. I was thinking about the approach of the new year. I was thinking of the reality, like at our service this morning, that as I look out, I can't assume we're all in the same place. Our family finished out the year with three losses. We didn't see all of these coming. Uh, it was a dizzying time. Our congregation also had the first death of a member. Uh, and uh, it's caused us not to be morbid, but to be sobered. Uh, to think about the fragility of life and what it means that we believe there is life everlasting. Uh, and it's been hard, but good. As we approach the new year, the, the years change, the seasons change. But as Dan said earlier, our Lord does not. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The one who declared himself to Moses this way, saying that he is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. That is the Lord we've come to worship tonight. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather this afternoon and the sun is setting, we're reminded of your faithfulness to turn the days, to turn the seasons. Lord, I'm reminded as a pastor that there are people around me who are in the valley who are soaring, perhaps distracted in the ease and success 
and a majority who are in the in-between space, what can feel mundane, what we can long to escape from and be bored of. Father, as we gather tonight, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would soften our heart to believe you are who you say you are. That those who are in the valley would know the rod and the staff of your comfort. That they would know you are a God who is merciful and gracious. I pray, Father, for those who are experiencing the highs, that they would be appropriately, Lord, humbled, recalling what we've confessed earlier in this service, our iniquity, transgression, our sin, that something is wrong that we cannot fix, that there is no boast for those who are in Christ Jesus, that our highs are to glorify you as our lows are to glorify you. Thank you, Father, that you know exactly what every man and woman and child in this room tonight needs. And you encourage us to cry out, help. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Father, I pray for the many who are in that in-between. Perhaps they don't feel low and they don't feel like they're soaring. Perhaps for them, I pray for a greater understanding that there is no wasted tear moment in your greater plan that the mundane is an opportunity as the lows and the highs provide opportunity. Father, I pray that the mundane would be a time in which you grow our understanding of your amazing steadfast love and faithfulness. As we sang earlier in this service, great is thy faithfulness. Father, the evidence is in this room, but the greater evidence is Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Nothing has been left to chance. Our feelings are fickle, but you are not. Lord, as we've heard Psalm 96 and this call to sing a new song, I think of how much I need whatever truth is spinning in my head to grow my heart's devotion unto you. Father, I pray as we look more closely at Psalm 96 and consider the end of a year and the beginning of a new year, that you would grow our understanding of who you are, our devotion, our praise of you, your grand rescue plan. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here this evening to worship you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. New Year's Eve, hours away from a new year. As you look toward, or perhaps forward, to 2024, I want you thinking tonight, if you're willing, what does it mean to sing a new song to the Lord? Psalm 96, verse 1, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. One commentator said of this phrase, new song, quote, a new song need not imply a freshly composed song. Instead, it may mean singing this song as a response to a fresh experience 
of God's grace. So perhaps a new song is you're growing in the faith and you learn something new about the Lord and you respond in praise. Perhaps it's that knowledge you have in your head hitting the reality of life and through the power of the Holy Spirit, embracing it and crying out in praise. What new songs might we get to sing in this new year as we grow in understanding of who the Lord is It's not immediately apparent when you look at Psalm 96, but these commands, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, declare his glory, ascribe to the Lord, say among the nations, these are all plural commands. This is a worship activity, a group activity that extends, and this, I can't imagine how striking this would be in its ancient Israelite, this is an ancient Israelite song. A people chosen and set apart by God, established as a nation from whom would come the Messiah, Jesus. What were they thinking when they sang this song centuries, centuries ago? Like during the time, perhaps, around King David, 1000 BC or so, roughly. Sing to the Lord a new song, all the earth, not just the Israelites. A song that could be joined in by people of every nation, tongue, and tribe. A global reality. It's astounding to consider the depths of what's being proclaimed here in Psalm 96. As I think of a new song, I think of old songs. I think of how in just a matter of of hours, people are going to be singing an old Scottish song most of whom won't have the faintest idea what it means. Nathan and I did not plan this out. I I really enjoyed singing the old tune that people will sing tonight at midnight with these new Christ-centered lyrics. That uh, That was so refreshing. But tonight people are gonna sing the old tune with the old lyrics. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? It's a question. Should it? Should those old friendships and relationships just be forgotten and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and all lang syne? Now, you got to know a little bit of Scottish here or just open up Google, I guess, and type this in. But the best I can tell, people have said, "Ald" means old, lang means long, syne since. It's It's the old long since. It's the old times. And how fitting at the end of a year, right? For the culture to say, let's look back at the memories. We don't want to forget these things of the past year and the years before that. For all Lang Syne, my dear, for all Lang Syne, we'll take a cup of kindness yet. We'll raise a toast in memory of these treasure, in in rejoicing in these treasured memories, these relationships of long ago. That's a little bit of the meaning, and I want to say as a Christian, there's a positive here, right? The positive is we should be thankful. It's not a bad idea to stop and breathe and look back and think, what gifts has the Lord given me this year? What memories have been established? What friends have been brought into my life? That's the positive. The negative is it quickly veers self-indulgent. It quickly veers sentimentalism. 
It quickly veers glorifying human experience and self-absorption. Psalm 96 is none of those things. Psalm 96 is the opposite of self-absorption. It's a song of praise, a song of shining the light on God. Now, it's interesting if you study the scriptures or look at any sort of commentary on Psalm 96, it's going to point you to 1 Chronicles 16, where very similar words, perhaps an adaptation of the song, an earlier verse, we don't know. Commentators don't know. But the words are quite close to Psalm 96, part of the words that were sung in 1 Chronicles 16, in the context of David first bringing the Ark of the Covenant, that golden box God told the people to build, and place in the Holy of Holies, the inner room of that tent-like structure, the tabernacle. A golden box that was symbolic of God's presence with his people. A room that was symbolic of a heavenly throne room. Essentially, the ark is a throne of sorts. More could be said about that. So historically, when David first brings the ark to Jerusalem, it's like the king, King David, rejoicing that the greater king has arrived. The throne is here. I know I'm simplifying things for the sake of time, but look at 1 Chronicles 16. Give some thought to that historical uh, context because if Psalm 96 is related to that event in any way, what it's essentially saying is the arrival of the Lord, and God cannot be bound to space and time, but he condescended at a point centuries ago, long, long ago, to uh, appear in this physical manifestation of his presence, a pillar of fire by day and cloud by night. He wasn't bound to it. It's what theologians call a theophany. And it would hover over a portable tent when the people camped in the wilderness between their rescue from Egypt and their arrival in the promised land, those 40 years, right, as it's wandering. And they continued with this uh, to, to march their way uh, toward the promised land. All of that is in the background of Psalm 96. But what is it celebrating, really? What do we get to celebrate this New Year's Eve? The main point of everything I'm going to say tonight is we get to celebrate God's kingdom building. This psalm is celebrating God's kingdom building. Now, related to that big point, if, you, if you're the type of person like me where you're like, I just need to know where we're at in this sermon, two real subpoints there. I want, in talking about God's kingdom building, I want to talk about God's salvation and God's splendor. So those are going to be the two bullet points. You'll kind of get a sense where, where I am. But before I do that, I want to say that Psalm 96 is embedded in a greater story of rescue going back to the opening pages of Scripture. God designed humanity to be under a representative. The first representative, Adam, rebelled, and there was an avalanche of death, destruction, and disharmony. Open the newspapers, click the link, you see the evidence of it all around us now. God had a plan, a mission, to bring renewal where there was destruction, 
And a, a key event that I want to point out tied to Psalm 96 is when God called Abraham, who at that time was known as Abram, and told him that he was going to found a nation through him. Whole nother sermon for another day. Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, talk about the mercy and grace of God. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, in you, the lineage of Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What was the mission of God? What was his plan for Israel? Israel was to be this kingdom of priests, holy nation who would live in such a way that others would see and be enfolded into God's people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. Now, I've said that twice so far to make the point that Psalm 96 is about kingdom building, about the fulfillment of Genesis 12, because it is striking. It doesn't just focus on the Israelites. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse 1. Verse 3. Declare his glory. Among your fellow Israelites? Sure, yes. Among the nations. Goes on. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Christianity is a radically inclusive faith. God's kingdom building is about establishing a multi-ethnic family. People from all these different backgrounds who have one thing in common, radically exclusive they concede, I am the problem. And the only solution is God fixing what I have broken through the work of the God-man Jesus. Radically inclusive. God's kingdom is composed of a multi-ethnic family. We are in the wake of these historical realities, going back to King David and, beyond, and before that to Abraham, before that to the opening pages of Scripture. Radically exclusive. There is only one way to be rescued and restored. And it is through the one promised, through the lineage of Abraham, through the lineage of King David, a king who would establish an everlasting kingdom. Wow, that's the greater backdrop that ties Psalm 96 to Genesis 1 and Revelation 22. That's one kingdom thread through all of the scriptures. Now. What does it mean tonight to celebrate God's kingdom building? Well, it means celebrating his salvation. When was the last time you celebrated God's salvation? I mean, really really thought, me? Like, I'm pretty bad. You, You have given me everlasting life through faith in Jesus Christ. You would do that for me? When was the last time you did that? Verse 2, sing to the Lord, bless his name, speak well of him. His name is his person, his character. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Now let me be clear. To the ancient Israelites, salvation is rescue from enemies coming at them. Salvation is rescue from captivity in Egypt. But that all points to a greater spiritual rescue from our rebellion against God, all of humanity, and what it deserves 
Separation from God, everlasting separation, everlasting death. So the salvation could be heard as a historical win in a, in a battle, but that all points to the greater war. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, his saving work. Praise God that he gives people what they do not deserve. I do not deserve to know Jesus as my Lord. There is no boast. Do you really believe that, Brian? I mean, like 100%? Then why are you still boasting just a little bit? Oh, you're a work in progress. Salvation for Israelites, those among Israel who would bend the knee to his rule and reign, but also the nations. I mean, it is striking. Think about ancient Israel singing this song and acknowledging that others are being called from the nations like a Gentile pastor at the ends of the earth, America, with a proper biblical understanding of America. We're the end of the earth. The gospel went out as far to, to this guy. I don't deserve that. God is amazing. His salvation's amazing. The way he orchestrates every detail of all of our lives. The way he is providentially guiding human history to a glorious end. Are you celebrating his salvation? A plan going back to Abraham and before to establish a kingdom composed of a multi-ethnic family that will one day be consummated when the king who has come, what we celebrated at Christmas time, comes again. And all wrongs are set to right. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, you have human rulers, but they come and go. The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. What he establishes, no one can undo. It shall never be moved. You have human judges. He's the greater judge. Human judges are imperfect. The Lord is the perfect judge. He judges the people with equity. The very creation is personified as joining in the song. Verses 11 to 13. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. What is Advent? A celebration of the arrival of the king. Advent means arrival. Well, he arrived. 2,000 years ago, as promised, in God's timing, 1,000 years are but a day. That's often, often pretty frustrating to us. We want things to happen. 1,000 years are but a day. Everything he says he'll do, he will do, has done, will do, like, perfect time in the future. For he comes to judge the earth. Jesus came to lay down his life. He will come again to what? Judge the living and the dead. Prophetic focus looking to the Advents. We live between the Advents. We are between the Advents, people. How incredible. We look back toward Calvary, and we're supposed to live this evening as if Jesus could come back this evening. But how many of you really believe that? Whew. Wake us up. It could happen. It could happen. It could happen. He's coming. We live between the avenues. Even the creation 
joins the chorus. This is reminiscent of the Apostle Paul ministering between the Advents in the first century. In Romans 8, where he says, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. We messed it all up when we rebelled against God. If somebody says, what's the problem with this world? Just say me. Others have said that, you'd be right. Bradley, would Bradley say that a little bit more gently? I don't know. Maybe I'm like a loose cannon tonight because I'm in someone else's congregation. But that's what we say at Parkway, I'm the problem. Until you know you're the problem, you're not going to cry out for rescue. It is so freeing just to go, yes, I am the problem. Now, in our tradition, we tend to say, you know, I am a worm, we, I am wicked, I am... These things are all true. They may not be as intelligible in, 20, in our current vernacular, but let's explain them. We're not good with a little bad. We're bad through and through. We're the creatures God made who said no to him. That has affected even the created order. The creation has been subjected to futility. Things don't work as they ought to work. But guess what? When Jesus returns the second advent, all wrongs set to right. For the believer in Christ Jesus, you live in a world made new, every tear wiped away. Everything works as it should. Don't cling to the present reality. Live in anticipation of the Lord Jesus' return. Verses 11 to 13 point to the between the Advent season. Romans 8 points to the reality of the between Advent season. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This is all about God's kingdom building. He had a plan to fix what we have broken, to build a multi-ethnic family, to set wrongs to right, the perfect judge, and we wait for the unfolding and the consummation of those kingdom promises. Eleven times the word the Lord is used in our passage, and it's the small caps version, which I'm sure many of you know. It essentially is a substituting Adonai, the Hebrew word Lord, for the personal name of God. So that small caps, Lord, is the covenant name of God that many pronounce. We don't know exactly, we can't say 100% with any certainty exactly how to pronounce it, but most people will pronounce it something like Yahweh. Psalm 96 is talking about the personal ruler, judge, king who makes promises to his people and keeps them. The covenant maker, the covenant king. He will never fail you, even when you're in the valley. When you're in the heights, when you're in between, if he says he's going to build a nation and from that nation the Messiah is going to come and, and that Messiah is laying down his life to rise victoriously, establishing a kingdom that cannot be shaken, composed of a multi-ethnic family, you can count on it. The flesh may rail against it, but you can count on it. The Lord the Lord, the Lord. Enfolding the nations, reigning over all, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Joy to the world. We sang it this morning as our first song. You guys sang Joy as Daunt. Does it feel like you're living that reality? Have you lost sight of it? 
Do you need a fresh experience? Do you need to go, let me wake up. Lord, pull the camera back. You did what? What? Genesis 12 or something. Let me see. What? Wake us up to celebrate your kingdom building and our little creaturely involvement in it. Christian, God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. He's left nothing to chance. Even when you are distracted, he is faithful. When you are bored, he is perfectly engaged. We wake up again and again and again. It's a revival prayer. Wake me up. Wake me up. I'm getting sleepy. The sun's going down. <laughs> it's gone down. Wake me up, spiritually speaking, to your salvation. Point two, much faster. Your splendor. Look at the focus of this psalm. It's not just on what God can do for us. It's on God. It's not just his work. It's who he is. When was the last time you just thought, I am just blown away by the beauty and perfection of God? Pray for it. Pray that God would renew in you, restore to us the joy of his salvation so that we might rightly be in awe of who he is and long to shine the light on him. Declare his glory among the nations. His glory, his weight, his value, his worth, his significance. For great is the Lord and greatly he is great. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. There's a really interesting play in the Hebrew here. Um, the gods of the people is the Hebrew word Elohim, which can be used of the true God. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. It is that Hebrew word. It's a plural word that can mean the one true living God, what some call a plural of majesty, but it can also apply to all these little lowercase g gods that are false that people are worshiping, idols. And what essentially the psalm writer is saying here is the Elohim, these lowercase g gods that you're worshiping, are Elohim. Two Hebrew words that sound an awful lot alike. If you, if you can see it or just hit play on a Hebrew, uh, you know, uh, like a, 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 the actual audio Bible, you'll hear it, Elohim or Elohe. I can't remember how the ending of that fits the passage. Elohim or Elohim. Your gods are worthless. Elohim means a vapor. It means insignificant. You are clinging to things that cannot provide true meaning or security. Splendor and majesty are gods alone. They're before him. Remember that context of the ark? People coming to worship? A copy of some sort of heavenly throne or throne room? It's inviting people to come worship the true ruler. The one who is beautiful and strong, grand, perfect. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the people. His splendor, in the words of one commentator, is his royal magnificence. This kingdom is amazing. The king is beyond words. Awe-inspiring. Another commentator said, as you hear this, ascribe to the Lord glory to his name, ascribe to the Lord glory. This is a call to worship to the globe. 
Christian, you're a part of that. Do we long to live our lives in such a way that people can say, hey, who, who are you worshiping? Who are you interested in? Who are you saying is better than any human ruler? What is this kingdom you're talking about? Do you long to be a part of that kingdom expansion? Are you participating in celebrating God's kingdom building? What are you delighting in? Hint, the thing you're typically thinking about when you go to bed and the thing you're typically thinking about when you wake up in the morning. So for some of us, it's work. That's become more than just a means of making a living and using our gifts. It can become our meaning and security, our identity. That's where things get dangerous. In terms of application of this passage, I think of what we will say together when we recite the Lord's Prayer together at the end of the sermon. Your kingdom come. What does it mean to sincerely cry, your kingdom come? It means to embrace God's rule and reign. And at least two things I can pull out from Psalm 96. It means to confess our Elohim. To ask God to show us the worthless things that we can enjoy the things of this world, but we're not to worship the things of this world. So don't hear what I'm not saying. The Elohim concern is idolatry. Our threat in our current cultural context isn't necessarily a golden calf, but I often tell our congregation it's a golden self. My plans, my agenda, my feelings, my schedule, and you can have what's left over. We live in one of the most self-obsessed cultures, I'm guessing, in all of human history. I'm just guessing. I don't have to read a lot of sociological commentary on this. I worked as a psychologist before I became a pastor. I was, I mean, there have been studies of narcissism increasing. There's all sorts of thought about what's going on here. We can watch whatever we want to watch, buy whatever we want to buy at whatever time. We're like little kings and queens going, perform for me. Make me comfortable. 